We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. How was the conversation? Do we do we show, do we visualize O'Neill's death? And one of the first cuts of the film, you know, ended with Bill O'Neill committed suicide. That's it. <laughs> and then it was, you know, credits. And people were just like, this is... It wasn't even just <laughs> murder. It was just Bill O'Neill committed suicide. Then the music came on, and then that was it. And people were like, this is the most depressing film <laughs> I've ever seen. When we were putting together the, the outline, yeah, we, we definitely thought we were going sh- we to show his death. But I think... You know, through the script and then finally getting to shooting it, it just, it just would have been. It would have been very expensive. Very expensive. And I, and I think also gruesome. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's one of those scenes where it's like, I, I like how we ended it. I think, I think the, I think the editors and I think Shaka did a great job in just like making sure we ended on Hampton mm-hmm. and giving his speech and just a bit more hopeful. I, I think it's right to leave with Hampton. Judas and the Black Messiah is a hot new film on HBO Max about the life of Chicago Black Panther Fred Hampton and the FBI informant who snitched on him and led to him being murdered by Chicago police. It stars Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. It is compelling. It is powerful. It is gripping. And the original story by the Lucas Brothers, who've been on this show before. I texted them. I said, let's do it again. We want to come and just talk about this film. They said, let's do it. So here we are talking about Judas and the Black Messiah with the guys who originally came up with this idea of talking about Fred Hampton and this FBI snitch who brought him down. You can get half of this conversation here for the full thing, which is fully fascinating and deep. We go into the ending that I think they should have had, and they say they talked about that ending, an alternate ending. Go to patreon.com slash show for the whole thing. But let's get into it. It's the Lucas Brothers talking about Judas and the Black Messiah on Torre Show. (laughs) 
the film is fantastic. It's deep and gripping and very interesting. I watched it twice. Lots of thoughts about it. Uh, explain to me how this journey toward this film even began, because this was originally your idea, right? Uh, yeah. So we, um, we, um, I don't know, we got into comedy around 2010 and, uh, we had always been fascinated by the Hampton story and just like, you know, the tragedy of it all and, and just how, you know, how young he was as a, as a organizer and as a leader and, and just how like insidious it was that the, the state, the FBI, and the Chicago Police Department and the, the you know the city apparatus in Chicago Mayor Daley Hammerhand, um, just how they conspired to assassinate him. So it was just one of those things, one of those stories that when you learn about it, you 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 can't help but not think about it all the time. And I think it was right around 2012. I think Trayvon Martin had just been murdered, and it, you know it sparked all this this unrest. And um, we just started thinking like, what can we? How can we use our our platform to to tell a story that speaks to the times but but doesn't necessarily speak to speak to the times it speaks about a, 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 a i mean a an incident that happened you know well into the 60s so and so hampton came back to us and his story came back to us and we were like we need to figure out a way to to turn this story into a film so it was around 2012 we started doing more research about hampton we read this book called The Assassination of Fred Hampton by Jeffrey Haas, who was a lawyer of uh, of Hampton in the 60s. And then we read Black Against Empire. We read Revolutionary Suicide. We started watching a bunch of his um, his speeches on YouTube. And uh, we also um, stumbled upon this transcript of William O'Neill uh, when he gave his uh, interview with the eyes on a prize. We had never seen the documentary. We had never seen video footage of it. We just read the transcript a bunch of times. And as we kept reading it and reading it and reading it, we were like, wait a second, this might be the framework for a film because to us, you know, it, I don't know, Kenny can probably explain more about it, but to us, when we were, when we were reading it, we were like, this feels like a crime thriller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it just sort of, the way he laid out, the story is just sort of read in a, like a sort of classic three act framework. And, and so we were just like, okay, this could be a good way to organize our story. Um, knowing full well with the intentionality that this is really a, a narrative about COINTELPRO, about uh, Fred Hampton and about how the state uh, worked to assassinate a citizen exercising his constitutional rights. So we had all that sort of baked into what we wanted to wanted to do, but we had this narrative framework that we thought could work cinematically. Yeah. And it also felt very biblical too. you know, you have this guy who, you know, gets close to this very, you know, messianic figure. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say he didn't see himself as Jesus, of course, but you know, when you, when you read about him, you're like, Oh man, this guy had the ability to unite and he had strong oratory skills and he had the ability to do things that a lot of leaders can't. And then he betrays them. Then he commits suicide. So again, the framework for a story, what it just felt right for 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 cinema. Well, let's take a step back. So so go a little deeper into why Fred Hampton. I remember hearing the story of Fred Hampton as a kid and being very moved by it. The whole story of the Panthers is deeply moving and and cinematic. Um, you know, Fred Hampton is a great charismatic character. I wonder why him and not the Oakland Panthers, mm. Huey Newton and Bobby Seale, who also had 
similar adventures, for lack of a better word, also had FBI informants, you know, getting in with them. You could have done a similar thing around the Oakland group. So why were you, why Hampton? Um, I don't know. I think, I think it was a a number of things. I think, uh, I think there were some problematic issues with, uh, uh, Huey P. Newton and his relationship with women and his relationship with power and his relationship okay. with uh, violence. And so, you know, as a person whom, and, and again, Huey P. Newton, I, I, I don't disrespect him. I understand his importance. I understand his contributions to the struggle. I understand, uh, you know, his commitments, but I feel like as a, as a character for cinema, if we're trying to, uh, if we're having a renegotiation with our relationship and how we're portraying a Black Panthers, and uh, who we're going to make our sort of hero, I think we have to really give thought to which character we want to get behind. And I feel like Fred Hampton is just a pure person, just a nicer person, a, a, a less uh, le- less cult, cult of a personality type person. And I just felt like it just worked more in the cinematic. But also, philosophically speaking, I feel like I probably have more in common with Fred, when I was younger, not now, I'm sure. not even close to Fred Hampton, but when I was younger, I felt like I probably had more in common with Hampton than I did with Huey. Um, and my relationship with Chicago, I just have a different relationship with Chicago than I do with Oakland. I, I've spent more time in Chicago than I have in Oakland. Uh, and I love Oakland. I love the Bay Area, but I just I have a I have a different sort of relationship with Chicago. Is there a story about Fred or just sort of a, a, a way of further understanding him that didn't make it into the film, but still sort of lives in your heart of like, well, if we could have done another hour, we would have gotten into this yeah. also. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, when, um, you know, when Shaka and Will first presented us the script, I mean, it was, it was much more robust. It was like, they had like elements of like, you know, how the Panthers uh, uh, went about uh, getting fi- uh, getting money to finance the hospital and finance the free breakfast program. It went into the particulars of that, which I think could be a very fascinating uh, story in and of itself. Just like, I, I, you know, you never really think about it, but it's like, yeah, the free breakfast program costs money. The, mm-hmm. the, the, How did they get money for the free breakfast program? I mean, it, it really just like going out to businesses and seeking donations. Mm-hmm. So they would go to like various organizations that presented themselves as committed to, to the black cause. And they would essentially just try to uh, uh, convince them to, 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 to give a donation. And also uh, Hampton, Hampton would speak at college campuses right. and they get money that way uh, to fund their various uh, programs. Right. Right. So his, his speaking engagements were, were mostly utilized to raise money. Wow. Wow. Uh, Yeah. So like that was in, that was baked into the script. You know, they, they really went into detail about, about how they received, that was like his own plot line, actually receiving money to build the, to build the, uh, the, uh, the hospital at the end. But, you know, because of time we had to, we had to cut that out. So, so wait, yeah. So, so you guys wrote your story about Fred Hampton and Bill O'Neill. Correct. And, and then you linked with Shaka, the director? Right. right. So, you know, around 2013, we had put together a story treatment. We put together a pitch deck. Uh, and, you know, we had it all mapped out for the most part. And we went around town. We went to various production companies, studios, 
And we just started, you know, we were pitching our story and uh, we got rejections across the board. So we, we tabled it for about a year, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, we started working with, we, we were working with Bernie for a bit. We, you know, we did our cartoon. Bernie we, Sanders. You know, we were in 22. Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. So we were just like, we, we kind of just like, like Bernie Mac or Bernie, no, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> no, we, 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 we did some, you know, we, some disinvolatory work with Bernie Mac. And uh, no, we. <laughs> Senator Bernie Mac. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we just like, kind of like, went away from it because we, we were failing so much and we were just like we need to rethink our approach to this because obviously uh, we're not we're not able to convince these executives to give us money to make this so we need to we need to uh, rethink our strategy and we were like i think we need to I, I i just looked at an email from maybe 2015 i was like i think we need to link with a filmmaker uh, mm-hmm. to take us to the next level and we were just fortunate by the graces of God to to work with Shaka on this um, this FX pilot, mm-hmm. and he was a comedy pilot for for Killer Mike. And you know we were, we were on set with him for a full day, pretty much. It was a full right, right. eight hours, maybe even ten hours. And we did we got to really know him, just see like his style and his approach to directing, and uh, his, his he was just super laid back. And we we just took a liking liking to him. And then we yeah. went back and watched all of his stuff. And then we were like, oh man, this guy's immensely talented. And right. we think that if we pitch him our idea, he'll be able to, to not only translate it to, to executives, but turn it into a, cine, a cinematic gold. So, uh, you know, before, we, but we didn't reach out to him immediately, but we just started like in the back of our heads thinking like he, he could be the person that takes it to the next level. Right. Why are you not the screenplay writers? Oh, oh, because we wrote the story, but they went off. They went off and wrote the screenplay. We right. didn't write so, the screenplay. So Will Burson, the other screenwriter on on the on the uh, the screen uh, the screenplay, he had already written yeah. uh, a, a, a film about Fred Hampton, and it was brilliant. It was a bit more robust than what we were coming for. It was pretty much like how he explains it it was like michael mann michael mann's heat where you know you had hoover and fred mm. hampton sort of basically engaging in this dialogue with one another while not engaging in a dialogue with one another yeah. and it was really brilliant I, I thought we thought we all thought it was great so that's why right. you know we were like we need to bring him on board because you know he wrote a brilliant script about fred hampton we think we could use some of his some of his scenes and some of his work in his screenplay use our story synthesize the two and then now you have a screen uh, now you have a screenplay that you can present to studios and execs it's it, so I, I i've seen a lot of your you guys's work and this is not funny and <laughs> I, I, I i'm trying to see where are the lucas brothers fingerprints on this and obviously you know, we've talked about your life before in this show. You guys are much more than just comedians. You guys were law students. You guys right. are philosophers. So you're right. way more than just stand-up. But, like, so I'm just trying to understand where, how does this fit into the Lucasness? Yeah. The That's a great question. I mean, I think, I think it fits in sort of perfectly because, you know, our thing is always to come from a different angle on whatever genre, like whatever genre we're working in, we want to come from a different perspective. We want to, we want to do something that makes it new or at least bold and fresh. And 
I think the the with the Hampton thing, the our biggest contribution is we said let's go through the perspective of William O'Neill. Let's make this a, a story about the snitch. No one was thinking that. No one would even no one would even think that that's a a, a reasonable thing to do because it would have upset a lot of people. But I think in our minds we're like, no, this will make this a classic film. Yeah, I, I think mean, that, and we're even seeing you know through the internet and from reviews. Like the biggest controversy so far is the fact that it it comes from the perspective of the snitch. Yes, it does bother me to some <laughs> extent that that the informant is a bigger character than this amazing person. But he's not a bigger character. He, he, I, I, he's not a bigger character. Hampton drives the story. Hampton is is ubiquitous from the very first. From the very first frame to the very ending of it, like Hampton's, his, he's so mythological that that you can't help but feel his presence in every scene. Yes, the I think how we enter the story is through William O'Neill, but I, I, in terms of the more important character, in terms of just like importance to history, obviously is Hampton. But I think in terms of telling a, a story in a film, you have to make choices, right? You, do you want to do the cradle to the grave? traditional by the numbers biopic that we've seen before that we're tired of or do you want to make something that's a bit more more genre bending and and i think that our goal was to make make hampton's story a bit more of a, a genre bending biopic as opposed to a traditional one Can i think I, what the things that lands for me when i get to the end of the piece and i'm assuming the audience has seen the film is bill o'neill enough of a villain and a judas right because this is what the piece is right we have the the black messiah and the judas right Uh and and his place as a heroic figure is clint he's great politically he's great romantically like i mean everybody's gonna love the hell right he just saves cats in every scene we just love the hell out of out of chairman fred right but I'm like, is Bill enough of a villain? Is he that? Is he really like? Because they, the infiltrators, would lie, would right. cheat, would steal, would make them look worse than they were, right. and he wasn't really doing that. Um, so uh, let's let's talk about that. Like, is he enough of a villain? I would say, I would say yes. I mean, look, he he pretended to. Well, he he got the he organized the, not organized the shootout, but he basically facilitated the shootout first by giving the information uh, about George Sam's and then about, and then by fucking pretending to be the sniper, all that shit was done by him. He wanted to do the C4 uh, uh, action. I think that he was and he also very poisoned Fred Hampton. He also poisoned Fred <laughs> Hampton. Poisoned <laughs> Fred Hampton that, w- that which eventually led to his assassination. Like I would say he's absolutely the villain, but he's also an agent of the state. The state is the real villain, right? The FBI, right, yeah. the, the FBI, Mayor Daly, uh, Hammerhand, Hoover—they're the real villains. And and Bill O'Neill he's is an man. agent for them, and he's working he's for the, them. He's he he's their proxy essentially. And I would say well, unequivocally that makes him the villain, uh, or at least right. one of the villains in a larger story. Uh, I mean, he's, but he's, he's certainly the villain. I, I I I I wanted to see more, just dirt dumped on top of him. And when you get to the end and he's like, well, I had a point of view. I joined the struggle. Right. I was like, wait, nigga, you think you were in the struggle? 
<laughs> he does. He does. He, 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 he believed it. But he yeah, was yeah. conflicted. I think that that's the beauty of, I mean, that's the beauty and the tragedy of the story is that, like, you hear this guy, you see him, and you're like, wait a second, does he really believe that he was a part of the struggle? Or is this, is he lying to save save face and then internally he really just wants to kill himself so it's like i think that that's part of the power and going from the perspective of bill o'neill is that he's so duplicitous and he lies to himself and then he ultimately kills himself and i think that you juxtapose that with someone like fred hampton who was so self-assured so committed to his principles so committed yeah. to the tr- I think you have a, a more powerful story. You, you, you're, you're actually examining uh, uh, the souls of people. You're not just looking at, you know, the Hampton side of it, but you're looking at the Bill O'Neill side of it because we've all we've all met people who are more like Bill O'Neill than like Fred Hampton. I'm, I'm sure. Sure. And right. I, I think this is you want to examine that. And he does it for so little. It's not right. like, he, <laughs> like even in Queen and Slim, the brother cakes up for selling them right. out. He right. just like right, he get two hundred thousand right. dollars over time, mm-hmm. but like right. when uh, when when his when he when they give him the, the a couple of bucks at the end and the keys to a gas station, I was like, "Damn, nigga, you sold them out for peanuts, <laughs> yeah. peanuts, yeah, peanuts." But that but peanuts. The, but that but that elevates the 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 story the a bit because it's like yes. the tragedy because it's like Hampton died for that. Like yes. this great figure died for that. Like that's like, it just sickens you. It, it, you can't help but feel sick to your stomach. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door, thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes 
celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Make It Plain covers politics and social justice. From organizers to legislators, it's the conversation you need to get woke. What else do you know about Bill O'Neill that maybe isn't on the page? Because he's not, he has no, like Hampton has a life, has a, has a, has a, you know, had other people in his family who he goes to, you know, he has, he's growing a family. So we mm-hmm. get to know him as a person. Bill O'Neill is just a worker. He never, right? He never goes home, mm-hmm. right? He, ne- he, he, as far as the film shows, he doesn't have a mom or a girlfriend or whatever. So, like, who is he as a person in this society? Well, I mean, I think when he was doing his undercover work, he wasn't really involved with many people. I know when he outside of it, he did get married. He got he had kids, uh, and they an moved uncle. to California. He had an uncle. He moved to California brief, briefly, and then he migrated back to Chicago. I think he probably escaped from Chicago because he had like probably death threats and stuff like that. So he probably escaped to Cali. But then he came back to uh, Chicago in the late mid to late eighties, mm-hmm. and he lived with his wife and kids. But I think in so, the film, I think in the film, he sort of represents the audience, right? He's sort of like. You, you come into the film and you, you have a conflicted viewpoint about the Panthers, you know, based on how Hollywood has treated them over the years and not just Hollywood, but, you know, the media in general, you know, they, they painted the Panthers as this terrorist organization that was very militant and they had guns and they shot up things and that was about it. But you don't really, you don't really see a full picture of them. And I, and I think by going through, uh, with, um, coming through the perspective of Willings, you know, coming into seeing that the Panthers be a mo- more robust organization, you you hope that the audience starts to you know change in terms of their their uh, position on the Panthers. But obviously, in the film, it doesn't have an impact on on Bill O'Neill. But you hope that the audience has it has more of an impact on the audience at least. I, I mean, he I, I I wondered if he felt torn. Because he was in the group and he does start to see like, wow, they are doing like really good things. Right, like right. they they are, you know, I I'm I'm down for this. He's he's definitely helping the cause at some level. He's hurting them even more, but he's definitely doing the work and helping them. Um uh, did we talk about was, did we talk about this? I don't know if we talked about this before, but this you you know Ernest Withers, the photographer for the civil rights. You, you ever see that I Have a Dream uh, 
that I have a dream picture of King okay. waving back. That a okay. very iconic photo, right? Yeah. Uh, so Ernest Withers took that photo. He's pretty much known as the father of the civil rights photography. Just a, 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 I am a man. All of that photography, amazing work, captured the movement. I, I think it's going to stand the test of time, even even after we're dead. You're going to see those photos. Turns out he was an informant for the FBI, right? What? So he was an informant for the FBI. So this goes to your thing. He did work for the movement. He, I mean, I think he did marvelous work for the movement. I'm talking like pristine photography. Yeah. He's an informant. How the hell do you fucking balance that? How do you balance that? Like, how do you balance those two yeah, contradictory I mean, the cognitive dissonance must have been crazy of like, right. I actually like these people right. and I believe what they're doing and I'm still. Right. But it's, right. I mean, it's, it's a very American story, you know, you know, the American ethos for the most part is rugged, indiv- rugged individualism. Pull yourself up from your bootstrap. It's very like self, you know, self-interested, the individual preservation, self-preservation. And I think Bill O'Neill is a very American character. You know, one I, thing with self-preservation and from because I mean, I have Panthers in my family. I've read a lot about them. You know, it's one of my favorite parts of that. The resistance. They were extraordinarily on guard for infiltration. They knew the pigs are constantly trying to infiltrate us. So just mm-hmm. even the whisper that somebody might have been with the police was enough to get you pushed in the corner or completely excommunicated. Mm-hmm. And when they meet with the the crowns mm-hmm. and the crowns make him think like he's a cop and they're like, and his 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 response is kind of like, yeah, I mean, like he's kind of telling the truth, but mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like the truth. It sounds like yeah. a lie. And yeah. I was like, they would have been like, nigga, fuck you, get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah. we don't trust you anymore. And like, yeah. he skirts out of, like, if he came with like, bam, here's my story. They'd be like, okay, but his story is janky. Mm-hmm. And they, and they, I, I, I'm like, the Panthers who I know in my life and in history would have been like, nigga, you got to, you got to get to step in, man. We can't trust <laughs> you anymore. Right. I mean, based on some of the, you know, eyewitness conversations about, you know, Bill O'Neill. I, I think that a lot of them were skeptical of Bill O'Neill. I don't think that they were convinced he was, and I don't, I don't think that they were so like convinced that he was a committed Panther that they didn't, they weren't a little wary of him. I think that he, some of his actions were a bit outrageous. Like he, he built a, a elect, I mean, electric chair to, 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 uh, uh, you know, electric, electric potential uh, snitches. I mean, Fred tore tore it down and said, "There's no way they can do that." But I think that he had, he had done some very extreme things for them to be like, you know, be wary of this guy. What I'm what I'm guessing is they didn't think he was he was that deep with the FBI. I mean, no one really because he, he was he was committing crimes. You know what I mean? Like there were moments when he committed crimes, and I, I guess in their mind, it's like if he's committing crimes, then there's no way he's he's a police officer because they just mm-hmm. don't do that. So I think I think a lot of it was he's going so far beyond what you're supposed to be doing that it sort of made them think that he wasn't an informant. I think people just thought he was crazy, but I don't think they thought he was. I mean, I don't think they trusted him, but I don't think they thought he was like a, a informant. I think they probably just thought he was insane. So uh, I want to come back to this, but who is the little rel character? <laughs> who who is he? Some people are calling yeah. him the FBI pimp. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
<laughs> so just informants are everywhere. Yeah, yeah. but that I mean, I, I think that, you know, when people look back and study the COINTELPRO and what they call the, the FBI called it the ghetto informant program. But there were 7000 snitches, 7000, mm-hmm. you know, folks throughout the country, 7000 plus throughout the country. And you just never knew. You never knew who was an informant. I mean, it, 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 they really played us against one another. Mm-hmm. I think it's captured perfectly in the script. I mean, I, I think they did a great job in capturing that in the script, and you know, Shaka did a great job capturing it in the in the in the movie. I mean, that's a that's a moment where you're like, "What is happening here? Right. What is going on? Oh my right. god!" But right. I think it's like you know the George Sam's uh, part of it, which is a mm-hmm. true story. It's like I think it's like you want to play on that paranoia, like who's who, who's an informant, who who might not be an informant, where are they, like. The George Sam shit, when we found out about that, it blew our minds. It was like, I can't mm-hmm. believe they have another informant who killed a person that they said was an informant. It's like the FBI was really on some some psychological warfare shit. And, it was, and, it was, and used him to then be able to infiltrate every. Now, that moment when Lakeith's Phil hears of what they did to another informant you really see on his face and in his body how he's torn and how he's lying to them about like, yeah, I would have done such and such. I would have killed that nigga. And we should kill these stitches. And like, you see like, oh, he's shook, but he's praying. (laughs) Like as an actor, like that's one of his great moments in the film where he really exudes two feelings at once. And I I mean, I I believe that was improv. That wasn't, that wasn't in the, Wow. It wasn't in the script. I think mm. how he wow. went off and just sort of, yeah, you, you see the, you see the fear, you see, you feel it. And it's just like, he, he's such a, he's such a subtle actor, man. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't. Yes. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamine a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is mostly secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from tenderfoot tv campside media and iheart podcasts radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I think one of the other great moments in the script, I mean, there's a lot of great moments in the script, but when Hoover is like, so what are you going to do when your daughter brings home a Negro? 
right <laughs> and, and like you kind of get at like the heart of what a lot of this racial paranoia is about right. for people like them and for a lot of white mm-hmm. people like like we don't want parity we don't want them in our family we don't want them with our daughters we don't we don't want them taking our jobs we mm-hmm. don't want them to our 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 way of life i.e. white supremacy is at stake right mm-hmm. and fred hampton is the tip of the spear and right. we have to cut this off and like i thought that was that was a really really amazing important conversation yeah right. i mean you know when burson wrote his script it was a lot of hoover and his the way he characterized hoover is is, is a way i hadn't seen in a long time just like mm-hmm. you know even you've seen some portrayals of him as being kind of icky but not like mm-hmm. to the point where he's just like so it's a bit of a monster, you know, a bit of a just yeah. like, like a cartoon monster who's who's just racially who's racially driven. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, seeing that play out and seeing it in the movie and, and reading it in the script for the first time, it was just like, yeah, they, they really. I mean, I, I, I really I think we really wanted to go for making the FBI seem like they were gangsters. Like we wanted mm-hmm. we wanted it, that that was the crime element that we wanted to invert. Like usually when you watch a crime drama, the police officers are straight and narrow and they're good guys and the gang members are are the bad guys. But in this shit, it's like we flipped it. We made the cops the gangsters. Like, mm-hmm. literally, the final set piece, they bang into the house with a fucking Tommy gun on some shit. Like, and, and it takes place in Chicago, which I think is beautiful because of their history of organized crime right, going right. back to fucking uh, you see, Al Capone. And you see Roy Mitchell, he has a cigar in his mouth and he's a, he's just a straight gangster. Mm-hmm. I mean, when it's totally gangster, when we get the close up on the sister and they they are commenting that Fred Hampton is still alive mm-hmm. and they shoot him. And that's true. Now he's good and dead. And that's mm-hmm. and those are actual words. Yeah. 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 No, I, I mean, I've, I've read the story. I mean, like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. it, 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 it freaking is so gangster. Right, I mean, like right. menace to society. Like, is he dead? Shoot him again. Right, right, right. And I couldn't two, even imagine shots. how she's feeling, right. carrying his baby, and she listens to him being murdered. Like, he's still alive. Now he's not. Like, yeah. oh my yeah. god. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's America. I mean, it's the American government. They're they're so gangster, and they project. You know, they project all of their. Their, their neuroses and their neuroses on us, and they they're they're afraid of us. But I'm like, you guys are the biggest gangsters. You guys you know, can literally walk into a, a person's a home and just kill them dead in front of their pregnant girlfriend, and then just go on with your day. Like that's some gangster shit. Right. And, and, and I, pay a million and a half dollars years and years later after all yeah. that fighting. You know, you know, after all, all the courtroom battles, like that that 1.5 million that probably went to. Yeah, but went to but think more. about this. Think about this. Think about this. The state paid. They paid William O'Neill a, a quarter of a million dollars to do what he did. Uh, who knows how much money they spent spent on surveillance of of uh, of Fred Hampton, bugging him and keeping uh, uh, agents on him and and spying on him and all. So I'm I'm guessing the operation must have called mil- cost millions of dollars. So they spent a million dollars to kill him, and then they spent another two uh, one in one point seven million dollars to pay the family for killing him. So in total, they spent almost three million dollars to to spy on a person and then pay the family out. They spent three million dollars for that. They spent like, more money on the spy. And, and now multiply that across the country. Like yeah. they, they probably yeah. spent 
maybe 50 to 100 million dollars spying and killing black people. I mean, they were definitely spying on Malcolm just the same. They were spying on King just the same. They were spying on uh, Huey and Eldridge and them, just the Bobby Seal, just the same. Yep. Yep. It was, it was, it was a budget. Like they had a budget in the. You know what? You know what? One thing I I wanted, I wanted Bill O'Neill to kill himself on screen, and for not to be a card, Mm -hmm. you know. And I like that would have perhaps made me feel more like okay, the the traitor got what he deserved by his own hand. His guilt is so like watch eyes on the prize. Turn that shit off. Go in the room and freaking shoot yourself in the head. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that was a conversation. Do we do we show? Do we visualize? Do we visualize uh, O'Neill's death? I, I think there were a lot of things that probably would have been tough to do. You have to introduce another character with the uncle. You gotta. I mean, you gotta film a fucking guy getting hit by a car. You know, like that's expensive. You got to get the highway. You got to like, it, it, it's just a, a much more expensive scene. Wait, what are you saying? How did he kill himself? He, 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 he jumped, ran into he, the highway. He ran into uh, to the expressway and killed himself. Like he jumped in front of a car while a bunch of cars were driving by. He just ran in front of, ran into one. Yeah. So you thought about, do we show this on I screen? think when we were putting together the, the outline, yeah, we we definitely thought we were going to, sh- we were going to show his death, but I think, you know, through the script and then finally getting to shooting it, it just, I don't think, it just would have been, been, been very expensive. Very expensive. And, I, and I think also gruesome. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's one of those scenes where it's like, I, I like how we ended it. I think, I, think the, I think the editors and I think Shaka did a great job in just like making sure we ended on Hampton. Mm-hmm. And giving his speech and just a bit more hopeful. Well, I think I, I think ending it on actual footage of Hampton is, of course, the right note. Right, right, right. And, mm-hmm. and it and it takes us upward. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, hey man, I, I long for the other ending of Get Out. Like I, you know, I mm. want the dark. You know, blackness is hard. Like right, you know, right, Willow right, Neal right. kills him. He jumps in front of a truck. Yeah, but you know, in one of the in one of the first cuts of the film uh you know ended with bill O'Neill decided committed suicide that's it <laughs> and then it was you know credits and people were just like this is it wasn't even just <laughs> get murdered it was just bill O'Neill committed suicide then the music came on and then that was it and people were like this is the most depressing uh uh film <laughs> i've ever seen and uh, so like you know it was a lot of back and forth between the studio and just making sure, you know, we, we I, I think it's right to leave with Hampton. For more from me and the Lucas Brothers talking about Judas and the Black Messiah, getting into more of the nuances of this film, go to patreon.com slash show. Thanks so much to the Lucas Brothers for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle Brenda Cox, Kathy F., Dr. Keena Murphy, and Earl Dorsey. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you'd never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. 
You can find me on Twitter at Torrey and on Instagram at Torrey Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torrey Show. Torrey Show is written by me, Torrey, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we'll be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.